Well, good morning to each of you. It's a pleasure to, pleasure to be here with you, and I get the opportunity this morning to uh, preach the first sermon here in this place uh, in 2023. have to get used to saying 23. Uh, I just now got used to saying 22. Um, but if you would turn with me again to Matthew chapter 5, um, as we continue, I've been preaching from, through the Sermon on the Mount here and. This is going to bring us today to verses 31 and 32. And let me just um, read the scripture here. And I'm also going to read a parallel passage uh, from Matthew uh, 19, 3 through 9. So if you would read that with me and follow along. Matthew 5.31, It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. Matthew 19. Three through nine. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. They said unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement, and to put her away? He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery, and whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. Please pray with me. Dear Father God, we thank you for um, your word and how wonderful your word is to us, and I just ask you to uh, help it minister to us today, and uh, that we would receive your word with humility, um, and that we would understand what you're saying, that we would not let our complications of this world interfere, but we would take you simply at your word and learn from the simplicity of what you say. So thank you, Lord God, for giving us this opportunity to learn from you. And please bless us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've titled this message, The Truth About Marriage and Divorce. And this is an important subject, and it's somewhat difficult to grasp. However, the difficulty is not in the Scripture. The difficulty is 
likely within us. And Brother Glenn was right. It is uh, a tough portion of Scripture, but again, the Scripture is pretty simple. It's just the problem is with us, and sometimes the world brings in its confusion even into the church, and we allow that, uh, wrongly so. But it's a very important topic to preach on, and the Lord Jesus confronted it. And I have to say, we cannot preach about divorce without also preaching about marriage. We can't let the world define marriage. We have, uh, man really has no basis to define marriage whatsoever. Marriage was God's idea. Marriage is a most holy union that one can partake of in this life. It is a sacred institution. And those of you who are young that are recently married, uh, it's important to drive this home. It's a divine covenant between a man and a woman. And the word divine there, meaning that it's from God. It's a divine covenant between a man and a woman. Marriage, again, was God's idea. We didn't come up with it. God did. It is God-ordained and brings with it God's stamp of approval. And the Scripture says that he who finds a wife has found a good thing. I should say it brings God's stamp of approval when done according to His Word. Marriage brings with it so many great things and is a sphere of safety and protection from sexual immorality and a host of all other sins. It is truly a gift of God. And friends, it is very important that the church take a stand on marriage and on divorce, on what they are and the impact that it has led to. And that stand has to be based on what God says. Not on just our simple um, ideas of it. Because it's divine. Because it's an institution of God. It is of utmost utmost importance that we understand that marriage is an institution of God. I can't say that enough. Man... And his ideas have no trademarks on marriage, no rights on the marriage institution. No man, no governments, no courts have any authority or ability to alter the definition of marriage. God owns marriage, man does not. There is no such thing as same sex marriage. It doesn't exist. It's a, it's a fallacy. It's, it's a fake reality. It's not marriage. They can call it marriage, but it never will be. There's no such thing as polygamous marriages. That is not possible either. When man tries to redefine marriage... It's not marriage, but merely a way that the world attempts to mock God. That's what the whole same-sex marriage thing was about, to mock God. It's not marriage at all. And I'll say this, friends, because we have to take God at His word. 
the majority of all divorces are also illegitimate. Because marriage is God's invention. And He alone owns the rights to it. He alone defines it. And God is clear that marriage is a union between one man and one woman, totally monogamous for life. And this is a glorious thing. The sacredness of marriage. That we have the ability as human beings to partake in something so sacred uh, that's, that God has given to us. And friends, it's also a picture of the gospel. That's how sacred marriage is. That's how sacred the relationship between the husband and the wife are. It's, it's a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of the relationship between Jesus Christ and His church. And I'll tell you, friends, that Jesus is monogamous. He is always faithful and never fails. Marriage is a covenant that you take before God, under God, in accordance with something that is owned by God, the institution of marriage. This means that all illegitimate divorces that are not within the scope of the one exemption, and there is an exemption, and Jesus lays this out. They're not really divorces, but they're propagations of adultery, compounded adultery. Most importantly, as I said, Marriage is a picture of the holy covenant between Christ and His church. And a violation of the marriage covenant serves to distort that picture. And when we do marriage right, you shine the light of the gospel by being true to the marriage covenant. Husbands, when you love your wives as Christ loved the church as His command, you shine the light of the gospel to your friends, to your family, co-workers, those, those who are around you. Wives, when you are obedient to the Scripture and you submit to your husband and honor your husband, you, you shine the light of the Gospel. You preach the Gospel without words in that way, as they say. It is a, a beautiful picture of the Gospel, too. So God alone has the authority on marriage. And marriage is not some government program. It's not some for-profit enterprise. It's a divine institution of God, and we must define it in accordance with His Word and interpret it and defend it. We must defend it. The marriage is really the foundation of civilization uh, because a man and a woman coming together in a holy union, under Christ, under the banner of Christ, having children, raising godly children. This is the support, the foundation of society. And so there's no wonder why the devil has attacked marriage and the family continuously, consistently. 
Did you know that the Supreme Court of the United States has taken up the issue of marriage way before 2015 and the, uh, the same-sex marriage debacle? I want you to listen to this. In the 2015 ruling, that was indeed a debacle. There they took an unlawful ownership of marriage. They said, we can define marriage apart from what God defines it as. Even though it was, it's owned by God, we're going to steal it from Him and we're going to make it our own thing. There they declared that same-sex marriage was legal. They took an unlawful ownership of marriage and defined it on their terms. But listen, the Supreme Court had already ruled on marriage uh, a couple different times, a few different times. In 1885, in the case of Murphy versus Ramsey, the court gave its ruling regarding polygamy. And the opinion is stated as follows, and I quote, Every person who has a husband or wife living and marries another is guilty of polygamy and shall be punished. Certainly no legislation can be supposed more wholesome and necessary in the founding of a free self-governing commonwealth than that which seeks to establish it on the basis of the idea of the family as consisting in and springing from the union for life of one man and one woman in the holy estate of matrimony. The family is the sure foundation of all that is stable and noble in our civilization. The best guarantee of that reverent morality which is the source of all beneficent progress in social and political improvement. Again, in 1889, the Supreme Court had to take up the issue of marriage in Davis versus Beeson. There, a man named Samuel Davis was imprisoned by the state of Idaho for polygamy, and he argued that the state was violating his religious beliefs. The court ruled and gave its opinion as follows, quote, Bigamy and polygamy are crimes by the laws of all civilized and Christian countries. They are crimes by the laws of the United States and the laws of Idaho. They tend to destroy the purity of marriage, to disturb the peace of families, to degrade women, and debase men. Once more, the court ruled on the issue in the 1890 case of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints versus the United States. The court ruled and simply stated, It is contrary to the spirit of Christianity and the civilization which Christianity has produced in the Western world. That was the Supreme Court then. That's not the Supreme Court now. In those cases, we see that they simply interpreted and defined marriage for what it really was. An institution of God. And He alone has the authority to define it. This is really, friends, all that we can do. Is come to the Scripture and see what God says about marriage and divorce. And every other human relationship. When we look... Sorry, let me go back. To find the truth on how God views marriage and divorce, or really just what it is and how we are to deal with it, to understand it, we must need go no further than to let God's Word allow it to speak to us on the issue. Him who invented it 
instructs us. And so that is what we'll endeavor to begin to do today. Now, I understand that there are complications that get involved and and certain things come about that we must deal with as a church. And we can deal with those things. As long as they're based on the Scriptures, I think that we'll be okay. But if we try to come up with some other philosophy or methodology, then we're really on thin ice and we're starting to stray away and we start to take ownership of marriage. We start to do the same thing the modern-day Supreme Court did, and we start to define it on our own terms. You can't do that. Marriage is an institution of God. I had a conversation one time with a student at MTSU about this very thing. And he said, he was, he was a professing homosexual, and he said, well, we just want to be able to do like what everybody else does. We want to have the same rights. And I said, well, marriage doesn't come from the state. It comes from God. Why would you even want to be a part of something that, that God has ordained when you're totally against God? And his answer was, well, you know, you get certain benefits being married. You know, you get tax incentives and all these things. That's ludicrous. Marriage is not a government program. Marriage is not some, like I said, some business enterprise. It's much more than that. When you reduce marriage to some trivial thing like that, what is it, really? It's certainly not marriage. Marriage is only in the way God defines it. And friends, we want it to be like that. Because it means something like that. It it truly is something beautiful in that way. When you change it, it's, it's really, it's nothing. It's just worthless. Just like everything else is that the devil comes in that belongs to God or that God's given the church and he changes it or tries to tell you this way is better. The problem is, is that we tolerated it for too long. And now it's probably too late. So we're going to endeavor to unpack this and begin to understand how God views marriage and divorce. So firstly, when we look at the issue of divorce, we must understand that any confusion on the issue is not because God has given us a, has given us a confusing word about it. He certainly hasn't. Just as in any issue, the confusion comes from us. The confusion comes from us. It comes from trying to take the clearly defined righteous standard of God and fit it within our own lack of standards or an eschewed standard. God often makes Himself very clear, but so much sin has entered in that it has confused the simplicity of what God has said. So let's look now at the Scripture and begin to dive deeper into it. In verse 31, It hath been said that whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. Notice it's, it has been said that whosoever, no standard, no qualifier, just whoever, wants to put away his wife, just give him a bill of divorcement, that's it. That's what they were taught. 
Now, the Lord chooses His words carefully here, where He says, It hath been said. It hath been said. Exactly like some of the previous verses that we've gone through in the Sermon on the Mount, such as verse 21 and 27. The same formula keeps repeating. You have heard, but I say. It hath been said, but I say unto you. Jesus is correcting their false teachings, the false doctrines that they had been taught for a long time. They had been taught this. Notice the Lord does not say, it is written. He doesn't say, it is written. like he did when he would directly quote the Holy Scriptures, like he did when he confronted the devil when he was being tempted in the wilderness, when he was fasting for 40 days. That was the, uh, he, he took out the sword of the Word of God, said, It is written, Thou shalt have no other gods before me, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. It is written. He didn't say that. He says, You've heard it said. Or it hath been said. Because if he would have said it is written, then that means that the Word of God actually said that. But it doesn't say that. That's just what they were taught. And those teachings were based on rabbinical traditions that go back to the Babylonian Talmud. Um, And these were, in many, many cases, uh, false teachings that really took hold on their society and just took off. And I think we can understand that because so many of those things have happened here and now in our, in our nation, in our time. You have false teachings that go back, say, 100 years, 200 years, and they just take off. It's the same thing here. And there's no doubt that if Jesus were here preaching the Sermon on the Mountain again, he would say many of those things to us. You've heard this said, but I'm going to say to you, unless, we can, unless we're totally just dependent on the Word of God, that's what He's going to say. So that's why it's so important that the Word of God is elevated. So what Jesus is really saying here in verse 31, like in 21 and 27 and so forth, is that what you were taught is wrong. It is a pollution of what God actually said. And what they were taught was a false teaching, or at least an incomplete teaching, and not the full truth. And throughout the Sermon on the Mount, we see Jesus correcting their false doctrine and traditions. And in these verses, Jesus takes up the issue of divorce. He's not scared to preach it. And I must confess that being in that position to preach on divorce, he lacked no courage, obviously. But being here now, for me, it's difficult. Listen, we don't want to, you know, unreasonably or... I don't want to uh, step on anybody's toes or offend anyone unnecessarily. Um, 
we're just here to preach what the Word says, and that's today my job, and um, everything else, there, there's, all, there's, there's grace, there's forgiveness, those things certainly apply, but we need to take God's Word seriously and not be ashamed to preach what it actually says and let the Word speak for itself and be simplistic here. We don't have to have, you know, years and years of uh, seminary training and doctorates in theology to understand this clear and simple directive from Jesus. So as Jesus continues to correct their false doctrine and traditions, and these verses, Jesus takes up the issue of divorce, which interestingly is directly following his teaching about adultery. So we see a very direct and constructive flow throughout the Sermon on the Mount. And as a preacher, I guess if you really want to learn about preaching, this, is, this sermon is a great example. He's not sporadically bouncing around from one thing to another. He's methodical and purposeful. And he fits it all together and never abates the truth. A very direct flow. What they had been taught is that a man could, for any reason, just come into the house one day, go up to his bride and just tell her to get out. I don't like you anymore, get out. And that was perfectly fine. That's what they were taught. As long as they did the paperwork. As long as they gave her a bill of divorcement. For any reason, they could just say, get out. That's why he says there in verse 31, it has been said, whosoever shall put away his wife. Whoever puts away his wife. There's no standard there. And we're going to see, friends, in just a very short time, that's not what the Old Testament says. That's not what the law said. But that's what they were taught. They could just come into the house, tell her to get out, and as long as they gave her a bill or a writing of divorcement saying, I divorce you, then they were still in accordance with the law. They built a system that allowed them to sin, but still think that they were righteous. That is a gross misunderstanding of marriage and a gross misunderstanding of who God is, of God's character. Think about who God is, who we know Jesus Christ to be. He's not like that. As long as the paperwork was done and filed, you could divorce for any reason. Friends, that is just like today. That is just like today in our society. That's what we have reverted back to. We have done away with Jesus' teachings on so many things, and this is a prime example. And if you could understand how divorce has impacted the church and our society, it could possibly be the one thing that has done the most damage to it all.
But that's, that's, not, that's a gross misunderstanding of God's character. That they could just simply say, I, I just, you need to get out. I'll give you a writing of divorcement, send you on your way. The big change in our society came in 1969 when the Divorce Reform Act was passed. This made it possible to have a no-fault divorce. Prior to this, listen, prior to this, to obtain a divorce, a fault, like infidelity, had to be proven in court. In 1955, 2.3 divorces for every 1,000 marriages. That was the rate of divorce. For every 1,000 marriages, there was 2.3 divorces. By 1979, there is one divorce for every 1.8 marriages. That's insane. Astronomical damage to our society astronomical damage to our civilization you can't have a free society and be like that as they say the numbers don't lie the proof is in the pudding so their idea of divorce is totally messed up just like ours is To think that God would be accepting of such a thing, that you could just divorce for any reason, is obviously not to know Him, and not to be seeking Him, and not to be abiding in His Word. Jesus said in John 15, Without me you can do nothing, but if you abide in my Word, continue in my Word, abide in my love, you can can bear much fruit. We won't be able to do anything unless we abide in His Word. We must notice here that Jesus, once again, is taking an issue that they had made only external, and he's bringing it into the view of the internal. Because marriage is not just an external thing. It is a spiritual thing. So since their teaching and view on divorce was wrong, and not in accordance with the law of God, not in accordance with His Word. What does the Old Testament actually teach about this? Well, the first Old Testament scripture I want to look at is Malachi 2, 11 through 16. So if you would turn with me to that passage. That's the last book of the Old Testament. Let me read the scripture here. 2, 11 through 16. Judah hath dealt treacherously, and an abomination is committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord, which he loved, and hath married the daughter of a strange God. The Lord will cut off the man that doeth this, the master and the scholar, out of the tabernacles of Jacob. And him that offereth an offering unto the Lord of hosts. And this have ye done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, with crying out. 
insomuch that he regardeth not the offering any more, or receiveth it with good will at your hand. Yet ye say, Wherefore? Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. Yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. And did not he make one? Yet, he, yet had he the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one, that he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. For one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit, that ye deal not treacherously. What they had been doing here is divorcing their Jewish wives and marrying pagan women. And God says to them, you come to my altar and you, you weep and cry and you cry out and you repent with tears. And he says, I won't regard it or receive it. I won't regard it or receive it. Verse 13. And they say, wherefore? Why not, Lord? Why won't you receive it? What have we done, they say in verse 14. And he says, because I'm a witness between thee and the wife of thy youth. You have you've dealt treacherously with the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. You have mistreated her and cast her aside. And until you correct this issue, I won't hear your repentance. I won't receive your sacrifices. I won't hear your prayers. This is what they had done. They probably gave her a bill of divorcement. But they had just cast the wife of their, of their youth, he calls them. Then he says there, yet she is thy companion. Such a sweet word there, companion. The wife of thy covenant. She is the one who is your true wife. These pagan women are just harlots who you're committing adultery with. And they miss that. That's why they say there in verse 14, wherefore? They totally missed it. And so he calls them to an account on this. She is the one that's your true wife. She's the wife of your, of your youth. She's your companion that I gave you. This is, a, this is a gift and you have trampled on it. And just cast her aside like she's nothing. God doesn't think of marriage that way. God doesn't think of women that way. God doesn't think of men that way. The word companion is such a sweet word and it carries with it an idea of close friendship, of um, partnership. It's not a relationship that's just built on lust. It's a relationship that's built on uh, a spiritual togetherness and a, 
uh, uh, working together, of living life together, of, of going through struggles together. She's your helper. She's the companion that God has provided. And that's how, men, we, we ought to see our wives as a gift, this amazing thing that nothing can really hold a candle to. at least in this mortal life. In verse 15, we see God speak to the issue of polygamy, taking it back to Genesis 2, just as Jesus does in Matthew 19. He says there, And did not He make one? So this issue of having multiple wives and polygamy, that's, that was dealt with in the Old Testament. And this issue of, of, so when Jesus says what he says in Matthew 19 about did not he make them male and female and, they, and, and what, what God has put together, let no man put asunder, that word put asunder there, the Greek word just means divorce. Let no man divorce. And it's nothing, so that's nothing new. Jesus wasn't teaching something new. He was bringing it back to the original um, sacredness of marriage. And so he says there in verse 15, did not he make one? We also see the model for the family there. The one wife being the, the mother of your children. Because it says there, did not he make one, yet had he the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one? Wherefore one? That he might seek a godly seed there's the protection within the family. Having, you know, all these women calling them your wives and your children there too, that's chaotic. That's, that's not a, a, what God had designed for the family. And it obviously brought issues and problems. I mean, just look at David and the things that it brought into his life. God never affirmed that or, you know, condoned that. That he might seek a godly seed, therefore take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. Protect her. And in verse 16, we see clearly how God hates divorce. So much so that he views it as a violent act. Look at that in verse 16. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. He hateth divorce. Hates it. For one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. He sees it as a violent, one who puts his wife away is like the one who slays an innocent man and commits murder and the blood is stained on his garment. That's how God views that. Isn't God's standard so much higher than our own? It's unfathomable how holy and righteous this God is and how He views these things that He has created, like marriage. And divorce is like a death. Anyone who's been through one, um, I'm sure would tell you that. And twice, there's the exhortation here, to take heed and not deal treacherously with your wife. And this shows us men that we are to consider the treatment of our wives. That we are to hold our wives in high esteem. And as the New Testament says, to love our wives and be patient with her. Now, feminism, 
and the women's liberation movement have done much to accuse the Bible and Christianity of degrading women, of subverting women to second-class citizenship. Interestingly, Islam is never targeted in the same way, although it actually does do that. But I want to tell you today, friends, that the Bible and Christianity have done more to elevate women, to safeguard and protect women, and protect the purity of womanhood than anything else in history. Anything else in society. And that is a fact. The issue of divorce and degrading marriage, having an anti-biblical view of marriage, harms the women and the children the most. The ones that we're supposed to, as men, protect. Speaking of children, I want to share with you an article that I discovered from 1979. And this article was in uh, an issue of Christianity Today in 1979. Um, And it is written by a, a Harvard clinical psychiatrist named Dr. Armand Nikolai II. And in that, he said that the two biggest contributing factors of emotional and mental disorders in young adults have to do with their family lives growing up as young children. And those two things are the move to quick and easy divorce and the ever-increasing divorce rates, and secondly, married women with children working outside the home. And thirdly, frequent moving. Because it apparently they say they're saying here in this article that it gives children no sense of roots. The Dr. Nikolai predicted in 1979 that with the current trends, the next generation will be overburdened with emotionally unstable and high numbers of mentally ill adults. Isn't that what we see? Dr. Nikolai also found that in 1979, the average American father spent 37 seconds per day with their young sons. And this was also a contributing factor. He also made a solid connection with this to the TV being brought in the home. Absent fathers led to little discipline. And absent mothers led to uh, emotionally unstable, little nurturing This all came from several studies that they had did over the course of several years. And the bottom line in this study, he says, the bottom line is that the best possible environment for children is to have both parents in the home. Both parents available, that is. Because, I mean, the two could still be married and the father, it says, spending 37 seconds a day with their children. I mean, that's... I mean, that's mind-boggling. And how often science confirms the Bible when it's done objectively. But the reason we cannot... The reason we want to set the record straight on divorce is not because of the incalculable horrors that it has done to society. That is important. 
Well, because we care about what God says. It's wrong because God says it. And then because God has designed things to function in a certain way, when you go against the function of God, there is always destruction. And divorce is against the design of God. It's against the, fu- the, against the function of God. It is wrong because he says it's wrong, bottom line. Now, the next Old Testament scripture I want to look at is Deuteronomy 24. And this is where they misinterpret things. And this is, um, you can go ahead and turn to Deuteronomy 24, but I want to read, just so it's fresh in our mind, I know we read it earlier, but this is in light of Matthew 19. So I want to, I want to read Matthew 19 uh, for you again. Matthew 19, starting in verse 3, The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and, the, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh." What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. They say unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement, and to put her away? He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, now mark that, suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except, so here's the exception, it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery, and whosoever marrieth her, which put away, doth commit adultery. Now, the word fornication there is uh, really a general sexual immorality. I love the word that the Geneva Bible uses. It uses the word whoredom, except it be for whoredom, because that carries the weight of a continual, you know, adulterous thing, not just a one-time adultery. Remember, God is forgiving and he calls us to forgive. And there's never a command to divorce. There's never a command. There's never even a suggestion you should divorce. But it's saying if you need this out, that's the only exception that God allows. And that is a general sexual immorality. So let's look at the Deuteronomy passage. Uh, Deuteronomy 24, verse, beginning verse 1. Goes, go, we're going to go through um, 4. When a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, because he hath found some uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement, and give it in her hand, and send her out of his house. And when she is departed... Out of his house she may go and be another man's wife. And if the latter husband hate her and write her a bill of divorcement and giveth it in her hand and sendeth her out of his house, or if the latter husband die, which took her to be his wife, her former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife. After that she is defiled, 
for that is abomination before the Lord, and thou shalt not cause the land to sin, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. We see, we must see, this in the light of the Matthew 19 chapter. But really, if you don't even have that, it's still here. Let me show you. Here we will see their misinterpretation, which Jesus corrects. And we'll also see their ill intent. Because see, they've got, a, they've got an ulterior motive here. There's an ill intent with the whole matter. We see clearly that Deuteronomy 24 is not meant to allow for divorce, but rather to regulate it. Big difference. It doesn't allow it. It regulates something that's already happened. It's as if you're, you know, running your home and your, your children have stepped out of line and been disobedient to some degree. It's already taken place. You have to step in and regulate the consequences now to, to prevent further consequences from, from coming down the line. That's what's happening here in Deuteronomy 24. It's not, it's not a, 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 an allowance of divorce. It's a regulation, a control mechanism. Here, the man must prove some type of uncleanness. Notice that. It says there in in the first verse that if she find no favor in his eyes because he hath found some uncleanness in her. So there there is a, a reason. It's not an unqualified whosoever divorces why let him give him a bill of divorcement. There is a reason here. There's there there is the regulation. There has to be some type of uncleanness. Now, this could be some natural, physical, or moral defect with the wife. We could speculate on what that could be. Possibly she couldn't bear children for whatever reason. Uh, I'm not sure, but it just says some type of uncleanness. We do know, though, that it could not be adultery or sexual morality. And how do we know that? Because there is no mention of divorce for adultery in the Old Testament because there was already a punishment for adultery and that was death. The marriage ended because of death. There was no need for divorce. There was, there, there's, there's nothing in the Old Testament about divorcing your wife for adultery because when there was an adultery, and remember this all had to be under two witnesses, when there was an adultery, there came a swift punishment of death, and thus the marriage ended. So we do know that it's this uncleanness is not that. So it's something else. And then the second regulation. The man had to give her a document of divorce stating the reason. This was primarily to protect the woman. Now, they had, as we know, in these times, in in the Old Testament days, uh, not everybody, but a lot of people had a low view of women. This was to protect the woman. This whole thing about the, the writing of divorcement is to protect the woman from these malicious 
men with these ill intents that were driven by lust. That's what it's for. The man had to give her a document of divorce stating the reason. This was primarily to protect the woman. Without the bill of divorcement, the woman was simply thrown out of the house at the mercy of the world to fend for herself. The bill of divorcement protected her from false accusations such as adultery or the like. Because if he threw you out of the house and then you're left there, someone could come along and say, well, he threw you out because you're an adulteress, aren't you? And then she could face that accusation and possibly be put to death. So the bill of divorcement is to protect the woman from that fate. It also had a very important regulation here to protect the woman. It gave her the right to get remarried. That's what the bill of divorcement was. It said, look, I'm no longer married to this guy, and this is the reason I'm legally able to get remarried. That's, that's very important. It also forbids in verse 4, and this is also another important one, the first husband from taking her as a wife again. And this is important because if she was to remarry, let's say, and the second husband divorce her, this regulation serves to limit the problems created by divorce and to show the seriousness of divorce and remarriage. It's showing that marriage is not something you can just walk in and out of. It's showing that there's a seriousness here. If you're going to get divorced, don't take this lightly. This is a one-time thing and done. You're not going to have her again. And you know that's what they would do if that wasn't there. And so this is what Jesus is saying, that because of the hardness of your heart, because of your ill intent... Moses permitted it. Moses gave you this writing of divorcement. Now notice in Matthew 19, the Pharisee that's objecting to Jesus says, well, why then did Moses give us the command to, to give her a bill of, you know, to divorce and give her a writing of divorcement? There was never a command to give her to, to divorce. They, they're looking at it in all the wrong ways. The, the bill of divorcement makes divorce a more formal proceeding, more serious, and not so flippant as it was at this time. Bringing some order to the chaos. But the bill of divorcement was never God giving His approval on divorce. And we see Jesus explain that in Matthew 19. Let's look there at a few things again. In Matthew 19, verse 3, For every cause, this does not come from God. This comes from their traditions. Obviously, from the Deuteronomy passage, they had mis misinterpreted that. 
or perhaps they wanted to misinterpret it. They took something that God had put in place to regulate um, a corrupted thing like divorce, a, 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 a very horrible thing like divorce. They took it and they used it to their advantage. But this does not come from God. Verse 4, 5, and 6, the sacredness of marriage we see there. Covenant under God. And he said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. That is a strong statement. That is a, a, a strong directive from the Lord. You're no longer two things. You're one. And this is uh, most wonderfully illustrated in the two coming and bearing children. That child that the two have is both parts of them together. But it's one person. Equally the father and equally the mother. Both have rights to the child. Because that's the illustration of this thing that Jesus is talking about. That God is saying that the twain shall be one flesh. Now the law, again, never commanded divorce. It seems that this is how they viewed it. So this is never a matter of the Old Testament and New Testament disagreeing. Jesus isn't bringing something new. Jesus is magnifying the law. He is saying, this is what God said. The other is your sayings. That's your tradition. It's nothing. You need to get rid of it. This is what God says. And, and friends, I'll tell you right now that if um, you know, people look at the New Testament and Old Testament, if it wasn't for grace... If we, if we had to walk out the law, it would be more difficult in the New Testament than in the Old. Jesus magnified the law and made it much more difficult to walk out the law. So thank God for grace. And He did that to show us we need God's grace. It is always, it's not a matter of the Old Testament and New Testament disagreeing. It's not a matter of Jesus teaching a new thing. It's always a matter of the traditions and the rabbinical teachings disagreeing with the Word of God. And we can see clearly that God hates divorce from the Malachi 2 Scriptures. That He does not approve of it and certainly never commands it. We also need to consider the prophet Hosea. Now this, friends, if you've never read that book, highly recommend it. But in this, in the, the prophet Hosea was commanded by God to take a wife of whoredoms because he said, I have loved a, a, a nation, a people of whoredoms. And this wife that Hosea was to take was a representation of Israel. He did all kinds of things for his bride. He provided for her. He, he decked her in, in wonderful apparel and all these things and he loved her. And she went around and continued to play the harlot on him. But he did not divorce her. He loved her. He pursued her. 
and He forgave her. This, friends, is God's character. This is who God is. Not someone that says, just divorce your wife for any cause. In the prophet Hosea shows clearly God's view on the matter, God's faithfulness on the matter, and how all these things intertwine. And this also sees when we talk about the divorce rates and the problem, the severe problem that it is in the church today. We see, really what we see is not a problem with human relationships, but we see a problem with the relationship between God and man. We see the broken relationship between God and man because of sin. It says in Isaiah 59 that God's arm is not shortened, that He cannot save, but your sins separate you between you and your God. All that is, it's a symptom of the real problem which is the broken relationship between God and man. If a man has a right relationship with God and faith in God's Word, all of his other relationships will be just fine. It doesn't mean they'll be perfect. Divorce is something that God hates, and it's never on the table. It's not on the table for me. It shouldn't be on the table for anybody. Now, I'll just tell you, some days I wouldn't want to live with myself. I'm not always, I'm not, a, I'm not a prize to be had. I mean, marriage is not always just totally bliss. It, it, it takes, some, sometimes it is bliss. Sometimes it's endurance. How much does God endure with you on a daily basis? The Scripture says that we have the mind of Christ. We have the ability to see things as Christ sees them. And this is how He sees divorce. And your gospel connection is there as well. Because man needs to be made right with God. Because if he's not, all other relationships are in peril. And don't we see that in the outworkings of our society? Society is not on the road to, uh, you know, some great, uh, totally blissful, no problems, peaches and cream. Society is on the road to hell. It's falling apart all around us. And that's primarily because the relationship between God and man is broken. So the church must preach the gospel, but the church also needs to take a stand on divorce and marriage. Strong one. Because you do both things. The gospel is tied directly to marriage. And the last thing I'll say is that Jesus said that He'll never leave us or forsake us. What God has put together, let no man divorce. God bless you.